This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today I'm joined by Chris Davies of Slashgear. Hi, Chris. How are you? Hey, Miriam. I am very good. Thank you very much for having me on. Oh, well, thank you for coming on. It's exciting. It's been a little while since I had you on the podcast last, like a year and a bit. Uh, Just as a point of reference, today is Monday, August 21st, 2017. And uh, we're just at the cusp of hearing great news about such devices as the Note 8 and V30 uh, from Samsung and LG, respectively. And uh, I guess, uh, are you going to IFA? I will be going to IFA, yes. Oh, exciting. So you are probably getting ready to do that. Are you going to Pebble Beach first, though? I'm not, unfortunately. No, sadly, I know. I know. I always seem to miss out on Pebble Beach. And I guess for those who aren't in the car scene as well, Pebble Beach is one of the maybe three or four big concourse events every every year where they, they bring all manner of both new cars and beautiful, beautiful classic cars. And yes, if you if you like cars... It's it's a good place to be. Obviously, if you don't like cars, then even I mean, if I mean, even if you don't like cars, I think that there is a lot of beautiful stuff there. So that's very uh, true. No, you're right. That's the yes, you're absolutely right. There, there, there are some cars that definitely qualify as art. I think exactly. So yeah, and you get to be posh for a week. So <laughs> which is why I'm not going because um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could pull it off either. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to buy um, a whole new outfit. Yeah, I've been wanting to go though. I think one year I'm going to try to go and just kind of like get a press pass or something. Um, but anyway, speaking of of uh, big phones that are coming up, obviously the Note Eight is going to be launched. What is it on the twenty third, the twenty fifth? I can't remember the date in New York, right? Yes, that's right. Are you are you also going to that? I'm not going to that. So my colleague Vincent will will be there. Um, so Vince so is doing have... that. I get you. I bet you Benjamin is taking care of Pebble Beach for you. Uh, actually, Vince is doing that too. He's um, he, oh, wow. he goes from Both one to the other. Yeah, wow. uh, but we're covering all the bases, keeping him on the move. Um, and then you're going to Berlin, and the V30 will be announced, I think, at IFA at some point. I'm not exactly sure when. Um, but I mean, these are the two phones I'm looking forward to. But in the interim, we've seen rumors, and you wrote about it, which is why I want to talk to you about it, about yet an- another Moto phone this year. I mean, Moto has been like pulling an HTC this year in the sense of like, remember when <laughs> HTC used to have like 12 phones a year? Yes, and we would roll yeah. our eyes going, seriously, what are you doing? I'm not saying that for Moto. I think it's still reasonable, six or so general models. Uh, but I mean, they'd better stop because the end of the year is still a few months away and I don't see them doing more. I mean, so the Moto X4, the, the, the Moto X series is back. They skipped that last year for the Moto Z and mm-hmm. there's rumors of a Moto X as a mid-range device this year called the X4. But that's crazy to me in a way because we have the E series and I don't know if you've had a chance to play with the Moto E4, but it's a remarkable phone. It's $70 on Verizon. And it it's, gives you yeah. the specs of the Moto G3 two years ago, plus mm-hmm. a fingerprint reader. It's insane. I mean, it's perfectly usable for a $70 phone. Like it's, you, 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 you can make that your primary phone, you as a tech person, and be like, not shortchanged too much. It's amazing. I think it's, yeah, you're right. There's a very interesting strategy going on, or I'm assuming it's a strategy, or maybe it's just a sort of scattershot approach of, well, let's throw as many things as we can out and and see which stick of, yeah, this, this releasing lots and lots of phones into a very crowded segment and giving them not a huge amount to differentiate themselves. Um, 
Which is almost like that's you, the thing you I'm mentioned. About. Yeah, you mentioned HTC. It's almost like the, the days back when every carrier had to have their very own slightly different version of the same phone. And depending on which carrier you went to, you know, you've got a slightly different model or it looks right, slightly right, different. Right. Those the terrible like days. Oh. The, those awful, awful days. Um, and now Motorola seems to still be doing that this year, but not but with necessarily the carrier. Yeah, just for themselves, <laughs> just because they've had so many great ideas that they just thought, well, yeah, let's, let's make another I mean, phone. I mean, it's amazing because you have that E4, which I said is pretty awesome. Like I used to kind of dismiss the E, even though I appreciated it was cheap. But now I'm really like, I could live with that. And then the G, of course, are really nice. The G5 Plus is the one I got to play with. And, mm-hmm. and I thought to myself, now, now this is a perfectly solid mid-range phone. And then there is the Z2 Play, which... To me, it feels like a mid-range phone, but I guess because it's modular and it's uh, a little pricier and has uh, like more fancy materials, mm-hmm. is is obviously uh, cons- part of the Z line. Uh, and my favorite Z, honestly, of of this year, uh, because it's got the headphone jack and it's a bit more affordable. And and then, of course, at the very high high end, you have the Z2 Force, and the Z2 Force has been a kind of a disappointment for me. I honestly, I don't know if you've had to, a chance to play with any of these phones. Yeah, I mean, I've, I played with the Z2 Force uh, recently, and it's. I kind of agree with you. I think the modular idea is very interesting. It's fun. It is, but at the same time, it, it's. It does kind of feel like they just cut out some of the features in yeah. the in the phone itself in order to make the the modular parts more interesting. Yeah, I think they tried to. They they did not quite reach flagship grade to me for the price they're asking considering the competition is so fierce and pushing so hard. Absolutely. And, you know, lack of OIS on the cameras, uh, uh, lack of headphone jack, although that was last year as well, but I feel that that's completely unnecessary. Uh, the the thinner phone, the thinner screen that's shatterproof, but because it's shatterproof is thicker, and because of that, and the fact that they wanted to make a thinner phone, the battery is much smaller. Things like these decisions are really weird to me. And then the screen is scratchable, very scratchable. That does seem to be a common complaint. Yeah, I, I think it's it's almost like they, they felt they couldn't rely on the mods to stand on their own two feet. And right. and so they had to slightly compromise the, the phone itself in order to do that. So you get the slightly smaller battery to encourage you to buy a mod with a battery inside it. The speakers aren't particularly great for music to encourage you to buy the JBL speaker mod. Everything is just this, yeah, the camera isn't, so, you know, is missing features, like you say, optical image liberalization, so that you'll go out and buy the Hasselblad mod. Yeah, it's, I know. Yeah. There's, it, I think when, if you have a bag full of mods, it's probably a very interesting And, and why, who does that? I mean, yeah, absolutely. like, I like the idea as a nerd. Like, I'm, I'm like, okay, modular phone, awesome. But then I'm like, uh, but who carries that? Like, did you ever see Michael Fisher? He actually has like this carry case for his mods, like. It's like a folio for his mods, <laughs> just to make I mean, a point, right? I, I feel like Michael is trying to bring back the days of the Filofax and and for probably the Fanny Pack as well. And while I am all for Filofax and Fanny Pack life, um, How I about don't think I don't think the the mass market is, and I, I, no. I don't think it does. I think it's interesting in contrast to something like um, the Essential Phone, where indeed yes the. The 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 modularity there is slightly different. It's doesn't maybe isn't maybe designed to kind of fit as cohesively with the core design of the phone. But I think that will serve them better in the long run, assuming essential sticks around for the long run. um, Of this idea of you know it it, you're not locked into a certain form factor. You know it's 
it, whereas with the, the Moto stuff, I, I feel like we got burnt with LG and the G5. And oh my God, that was quite terrible. Uh, I mean, not terrible. It's just, it was just seemed like, it just seemed poorly executed. At least the Moto mods, I think, are well executed. Yeah, and I think that, that Motorola has made all the right noises about continuing to support it, which is something that LG wouldn't do even when even when they were announcing the G5. You know, we were asking them, well, you know, is this going? You know, are you going to kind of commit to this form factor? This, you know, so that if I buy a G5 now and a, a bunch of accessories that plug into it, you know, will I be guaranteed to be able to use it on the the G6 or whatever? And you know, they they wouldn't commit to that. Uh, yeah, and that's, and that's at the point when they're announcing the phone, when they're supposed to be the most gung ho about it. Um, yeah. And so no. and without that, you kind of think, well, is I might as well just go and get a really generic accessory that plugs into USB C or whatever, because there is more chance of me being able to use that. I agree completely with your assessment. I was going to say that Michael would be the one to carry a Filofax uh, combined with a fanny pack, like a. Philo pack. A Philo pack, yes, or, or a fanny fax. Which, oh, ooh, I like that ooh, one. Ooh, yeah, actually, yeah. I say we bring back the fanny fax. Not that we did. Did it ever oh. leave? Yeah. Oh, no. Wow. Okay, <laughs> but specifically for mods, of course. Yes, um, of course, yeah. But you're right, you're making a good point. And so the X4 comes into this, into this ecosystem, or into this lineup. And you're like, where does it slot? The X used to be the flagship. And now you look at those specs and it's, it's Z2 Play grade specs, mm -hmm. but the price point is a little cheaper than Z2 Play. Yet there's a dual camera like the Z2 Force. Yeah, at least that's a, the leaks, yeah. right? So but I'm really that's... confounded and confused as to how does this how does this fit in, right? I get the feeling that this is this is the the mid range phone that you want if you're not interested in mods, but you want a dual camera still and Motorola is hoping that enough people do to make it worthwhile buying all of those Snapdragon 630 chips, maybe. And I don't know. It's it's a it's it's, it's a really curious one. I, I feel like the, the specs seen in isolation are good, but you know, looked at in terms of the rest of the range, um, I'm kind of still confused. Yeah. I mean, let's let's wait and see. The specs are interesting in the fact that it's running a Snapdragon 630, which is a newer version of the 600 series. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, the 600 series have never been, a, uh, has never been, well, at least the recent ones have never been uh, slow and, and certainly haven't been uh, bad in terms of power efficiency. So, um, you know, this has, I don't know what we know about the battery, but I bet you it might have a big, bigger batteries than the Z2 Force. And you know, the dual camera and a decent processor and, and all in a form factor that doesn't work with mods, but because of that probably makes it more compact. The rumors are of a 1080p 5.2 inch display. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, that seems like an interesting, uh, I mean, it's certainly an interesting phone, but but to me, I, I would I would have made it like a, a G5, like a G5 series. Like, you know, the existing G5 range, there's a G5, G5 Plus, yeah. maybe G G5 Ultra or something that has a dual camera and is basically in that in that, in that that realm. Uh, because this, the industrial design looks very G5-ish to me. Mm -hmm. So why break out the X again after you killed it last year? I don't know. It's just weird. I think I think it will come down to how they they pitch it, and I think I think the battery is maybe a, a three thousand milliamp hour one. That's what the, the leaks yeah, are talking about. Yeah, and that's going to be good on which a is decent, certainly yeah. with a with a Snapdragon six thirty. Certainly, that's going to be um, very good. But 
um, I think you're not going to get this kind of the spec obsessed people who no, no. want the the very fastest chipset. But like you say, the the 600 series is very capable these days. And so I think if you can find that audience of people who don't so much care about what it says on the box, but just want that experience, then I think 630 plus a big battery will and a decent style will will make for a phone that will last all day for the average user. Um, and if they can pitch that right, that would be yeah. great. I mean, it, I don't see, I mean, I don't have a problem per se. I just, it seems very crowded the Moto lineup this year. I'm not quite sure I understand the strategy. You know, I yeah, I yeah. Even, do they have a strategy? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think they have, uh, but it doesn't matter. Um, the the reality is, you mentioned essential phone, and and speaking of, still crickets, right? We haven't heard a peep from these folks in a while now. So they um they apparently sent out this morning an email to um pre order customers, um telling oh. them that the phone would come within a. A, a week or so, I believe. So I should have read the news this morning. Oops. Uh, it's, you know, I mean, it's, it, there's, there's, there's always a lot of news, and there are a lot of other things in the news which kind of overshadow tech right now, so I think you can be forgiven. Um, but, yeah, so it's it's coming. I, I Yeah, but, you know, yeah. in us media, we haven't received any invitation to review or anything, which is weird to me that, I mean... If they're reaching out to the customers to appease them, this is what it sounds like to me. Otherwise, we would have review units by now, which we couldn't probably talk about. But the point is, we don't. So, hmm, weird. Very weird. Um, I think it's it, it, it's a very in, it's an interesting project in that I think if it was anyone other than Andy Rubin, uh, then people would not be giving this the attention that it's getting. Um, Absolutely. And it because it is Andy Rubin, I think he has a bit of a, he's always had a bit of an antagonistic uh well not as antagonistic as Steve Jobs or anything like that. But <laughs> like he's he's always been a bit distant, I guess is probably the better word, uh, from the media, right? Even when he was at Google, he was a hard man to 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 nail down for interviews and comments yeah. and things. I he think, always kind of yeah. passed that on to the other folks. Um I felt like I, I got to, I got easier access to Matthias Duarte than I did to Andy Rubin back in the days when I was at Engadget, despite <laughs> the fact that I was, you know, the, the senior mobile editor there. Um, but, you know, look, I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, cer ceramic and titanium, I'm on board. I think know? there's, yeah, there are lots of, there are, again, lots of reasons to, to be very excited by it. It's, um, you know, it's a different strategy in the, you know, that are trying to make a phone which is more premium feeling and which doesn't, make compromises for carriers and all of the right things that we've heard a few times but you know have never really had delivered on um so i would i would love for it to i think you know it would be great to have another strong competitor in the segment um a strong and agile one you know that can kind of push the envelope in a way that maybe some of the other phone companies don't do so much now um yeah no absolutely i mean I, when robin was announced you know from next bit they got mm -hmm. bought by razor but i mean i i was like this is cool i mean it's not m the phone i really want but i it's nice to see you know a new player and it's the same with the red phone right um the the red hydrogen phone or whatever it's called i think it's going to be interesting to see what they pull off with that one and i think there is that there's a um there's a question there, or there's a, there's an issue there about you know how experimental can someone huge be? Because you know if they try and push the envelope in terms of 
you know, if Samsung goes and raids its various Samsung partner companies for the very cutting edge in display or processor or camera or memory or whatever, they have to be able to then deliver on enough units of that, assuming that the phone is then successful. Which yeah. you know is is tricky if you're if you're selling to millions and millions of people. Um, and then you and, get end up with an LG G5 that's modular but not supported. Yes, because they're trying uh, to be experimental, but they're not really really doing it. Yeah, and it's hard to kind of yeah to to kind of meet that demand. Then so you have to maybe play it a little safer than that, um, which I think is kind of where the, the industry is at the moment. Um, you know, you have some very big players. It's condensed down into. Apple and Samsung, and then you know, with some LG and Motorola and HTC, kind of slightly more on the periphery, and yeah, all of them kind of playing it a little bit safe. Um, Indeed, I just realized that thankfully, uh, my listeners are pretty savvy, but I probably we could probably easily confuse early newcomers to the show when we talk about the G5. We could be talking about the Moto G5, but we could also ah. be talking about the <laughs> LG G5. Obviously, yes. the last G5 we were talking about was the modular LG G5 precursor to the G6, which is currently the flagship on on LG's lineup. But when we talk about the Moto G5, we're talking about this kind of mid-range phone, um, lower mid-range that. Uh, uh, is mostly sold in the U.S. as a G5 Plus, which is a slightly improved version of it. Uh, and it's really the Moto G 5th edition. Um, but us nerds, it's like we call the Galaxy S8 the, you know, the S8 or the GS8 um, in, in kind of colloquial lingo. We like to abbreviate. I know. We're lazy um, in our speech. That's I know the it's problem. like the N6 for the Nexus 6. Yes. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, anyway, so we've talked about the X4. I, I'm glad you, your story is, and I'll link it to in the show notes, is pretty detailed on the specs and what we're expecting. And, and you know, I remember seeing more blah, blah on the internet about the X4 rumors, but a lot of them seem to just be like, yeah, there's an X4 coming and here's some spy photos or whatever. And uh, But your story was the first that I felt really outlined everything we know about it, which I thought was kind of cool. So... Thanks for doing that. Um, let's talk about cars for a bit cars, because I know excellent. you cover cars for uh, for Slash Gear, and you know this. I'm a car enthusiast myself. I'm all, I kind of want to more put the focus on on the future and, and electric cars and autonomous mm-hmm. cars, and uh, I, I want to you know hear your take on on the Model Three and maybe in the context of other uh, new electric cars that have come out recently or coming out, like a, like the Bolt, like the new Leaf, which I know mm-hmm. nothing about, honestly, I haven't even been reading, um, simply because the old Leaf was very mad to me, even though it was a very necessary car and it really right. helped, I think, in terms of electrification. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what is, what's your take on the Model 3? Have you had a chance to be in one? Uh, anything not, like that? Not since the original reveal, no. Um, right. So I... I was coming back from Norway, actually, when they, they had the event in um, uh, Fremont when they handed over the first handful of cars. So I I wasn't there, unfortunately. But um, I think it's, I mean, it's obviously it's a very interesting car. Um, there's a lot, of, there's a huge amount of interest amongst uh, electric car enthusiasts and car enthusiasts in general, and some of them love it and some of them hate it. And Tesla definitely knows how to manage a launch. Um, yeah, if it doesn't necessarily happen on time, you know, they definitely know how to manage they're that message. They're kind of like Apple in a way, in the sense that they're kind of like, they know they've got the attention and mm-hmm. they can kind of get away with almost anything. And then they kind of mitigate some of their, you know, challenges, which obviously for them have been to deliver on time, you know, the Model X probably being the worst offender. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but, but I'm personally look. I I want to be upfront. I I think I've I've been a long term supporter of Tesla since the days before the Model S. I, I really thought that they could pull it off because mm-hmm. Elon was on board and and he we did he did and they did. Um, but I I finally you know went ahead and 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 reserved a Model Three when when it was announced a year and a bit ago. Mm-hmm. Um, very very early on, so I should be able to get mine hopefully in October or maybe in December or sometime soon. Um, so I'm certainly, you know, biased, I guess. Um, <laughs> but I just want to say, look, uh, to me, what Tesla make what what makes Tesla so exciting? What really sold me on Tesla is, as a car enthusiast, I was one of the first tech media to drive one, the Model S. Sorry, not mm-hmm. the three. Uh, back in 2012, when I was at Engadget, um, they had this this uh, delivery event uh, for the Model S's in Fremont, and interestingly, they mostly in, they mostly invited car press. Right. And lifestyle press, and there were very few tech press, and I was one of them. And uh, they said, "Do you want to drive it?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course <laughs> I want to drive it." And you know, I went in with high expectations, but I was blown away. Like it was way beyond my expectations as a driver. Okay, the handling, the acceleration, the braking, the performance of the car. Uh, you know, I could see a lot of things, you know, as a car enthusiast that I, you know, were a little foreign to me and different. Like, you know, it's a big car. I'm not a big fan of big cars. Uh, it, it was, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of the touchscreen controls are a little weird. Um, at the time, I had a loaner BMW 6 Series Grand Coupe. Mm-hmm. And it obviously has, is a, you know, being a an, from the, you know, the uh, traditional car world, it had a lot of knobs and buttons for everything. And yeah. You know, it was kind of was. I, I left that in the parking lot of the Tesla uh, Fremont plant and walked to the press event and dropped myself in the seat of this Model S. And I felt like I was literally had just been driving the past and I was driving the future. <laughs> it was. It couldn't have been a better contrast since they're both large sedans. Right. Um. And and uh, I have to say that the the lack of buttons and tactile feedback for me was was a the big thing, the big head scratcher. And of course, I could see the fit and finish was going to be an issue for them, right? Even from there on their press cars, I was just yeah. like, oh my, for the price you're asking, you're going to have to, a lot of work to do to keep up with the Mercedeses of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, the the car blew me away. And that's when I knew, I was like, one day when I can afford this this experience, I'm going to get it. And from what everything I've reading so far, the Model 3's driving experience is really, really good. So I'm hoping that that's what I'm going to get. But I have a lot of reservations. I mean, I'm annoyed that I can't get a dual motor high performance one. Uh, I mean, I can. I can wait to get one. Yep. But do I want to wait? I don't know. Uh, you know, that's the one thing about being a tech journalist. You kind of want to be part of the early adopter crowd, right? I mean, you kind of have to because that's how you, Right. you know, I, I bought an iPhone on day one because even though I'm not, you know, really a big fan of uh, well, now in retrospect, I'm not a big iPhone user. I mean, at the time I had to, like it, I had to be one of the first and I wasn't enough of a well-known tech journalist to really be able to get a review in it. I think maybe five people got a review in it, yes. including Walt Mossberg back then. Yep. So, you know, so I kind of feel somewhat like I shouldn't give away my opportunity to get the rear-wheel drive model, but it's not what I really want. And then the other thing right. is, honestly, I'm really freaking out about the lack of a of a um, instrument panel or heads-up display for the driver only. Do you know, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm less bothered. About, I, I'm kind of surprised, actually, at the amount of uh, 
just sort of frothing at the mouth that that has caused. Because you know, I I'm think not if you frothing, I'm just no, saying, no. I'm not I mean, sure I mean, I'm not. I'm not. Spe- I wouldn't. I'm not specifically referring to your mouth, but I think it mouths in general. The collective mouth is quite frothy, and I think that's strange because you, there are an awful lot of cars that um, that do have this. You know, a central instrumentation pod at the top in the middle of the dashboard which of course makes it a lot easier for automakers because they don't have to kind of have right hand drive dashboard parts. Drive, but yeah. exactly yes so you know if you've been in a prius recently that has a central pod at the top um i was in europe recently and an awful lot of the you know the the peugeot citroen cars had this sort of centralized instrumentation panel um so i think for me that that isn't so much the, i think you will just get used to you'll glance down where you know that the the numbers are you know i think i think you're right i think ultimately it's like the iphone you know we wow we can't have a phone without a hardware keyboard are you kidding me that's impossible and then you use it and at first it was a little clunky mm-hmm. but when the software got better you know now i mean i've had a you know i played with the key one and i think it's really quite brilliant for those people who really want a hardware keyboard but who wants a hardware keyboard uh, yeah, it's a, it's right? absolutely a, it's a shrinking audience. My my concern with the, the 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 Model Three sort of instrumentation in general is that they have everything is condensed down pretty much to that touchscreen and the you know and a few joysticks on the, the steering wheel. And there are still times when, as much as I love touchscreen interfaces and think that they're very cool and Star Trekky, you know, I I do like to be able to reach out and turn a dial that controls yeah. the. I mean, the for volume. me, like the ideal car would have a big touchscreen like that. It would still have an instrument. I would actually, here's my ideal Model 3 layout. It would have a, an H, a heads up for, for speed and, um, you know, maybe uh, navigation directions and like blink blinkers and uh, mm-hmm. whether I'm on autopilot or not, like basic status indicators and speed, a heads up. And then the main display would be like it is today. But I would have I would have traditional vents because I like the idea of just, you know, you look at them and you immediately know what position they are and you don't right. have to guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would want uh, a button for the glove box that was physical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's kind of pushing it too far. I mean, really? And, and uh, how often do you reach for the glove box? I mean, not very often, but when you do, you kind of have this expectation that you reach for it and there's a handle or a button there. Um, <laughs> And then uh, the other one for me is the hazards. I haven't yet to figure out. I believe by law it has to be a separate button. It does. There, I, are, there are certain buttons, uh, certain controls which have to have a dedicated But where is that hazard button. button? In every photo I've seen, I can't find it. It's a good question, Joe. And I haven't actually looked out for that. Because on the um, Model 3, uh, Model S and the, and the X, you know how it is on each side of the, the vertical flat panel middle mm-hmm. screen, there's these tiny triangular buttons. The one on the passenger side is the glove box open. And mm-hmm. the one on the driver's side is the hazards button. But like, I don't see it on the Model 3. And I'm like, seriously, the hazards? Like, th- that's literally something that I reach out for by reflex if I'm on the freeway and all of a sudden everyone is breaking like an idiot in front of me right. because I'm a European and I learned to drive there. The first reflex is to push the hazards to notify people behind me something's up, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I can't imagine that being on a touchscreen. That's insane. No, I mean I think that it will have to be. If I mean, like I say, it's a, it's a, it's one of those mandated controls that needs to be. I hope so. <laughs> dedicated. So, this I is mean, America. It, it you never know. It will be somewhere. Um, I hope. So. Yeah. I think that the whole, I think the Model Three story is going to be a really interesting one. Obviously, that you know they have started delivering, but sort of only just. Um, you know, I think as as we ramp up and see more cars sort of reach people who aren't. Tesla employees or, you know, 
the, who are kind of the only people at the moment who really have right, yeah. have the car. I think it's going to be a really interesting time that a that people aren't being able to necessarily choose, like you were saying, the car that they particularly want with the specification that they particularly want. You know that. Tesla's very sensibly cutting down the number of combinations that and they that have makes on sense, offer. Of course, yeah, and yeah. I think you know after the Model X kind of launch trouble that they had um, with, and even now there being so many different kind of configuration options with um, S and X. You know, they trimming it right down and only offering I think it's less than a hundred different kind of combinations for the S uh, for the three. I should say makes a lot more sense. But I think it, they're selling to a very different audience, even at you know kind of mid forties, low fifty thousand price range absolutely which i think is what the, the the current kind of the first cars that get delivered will be um i think that they, they may get an unpleasant shock perhaps at how willing to be vocal in their complaints that cohort of, of drivers are i think yeah. you know yeah. i think people who spend a lot of money on expensive cars often have more than one car for a start so that you know if something goes wrong that they don't have to worry about getting to places because they have another car in the garage that they can use and also, yeah. the, the, you know, there's some very interesting research which says that people who spend a lot are actually paradoxically less likely to vocally complain in public. Um, yeah, it's an image thing, right? Yeah, they don't want to complain about their purchase or they're more easygoing because they do have this, you know, this uh, another car that they can, or another, you know, a replacement that they can use temporarily while the problem gets fixed. That's not going to work if, you know, the Model 3 is your only car and you need that to drop kids off at school or get into work or, you know, make a road trip or whatever. Right. And those, the people driving those cars aren't going to kind of be satisfied with, oh, you know, we're going to push out a firmware update to kind of address that. You know, they want to, you know, they, they want to know that they can unlock the car when it gets nearby. They want, you know, so I think it's, it's a really interesting car, but I think that all of a sudden teething pains are going to be magnified by, by a combination of the, the sheer number that they're planning to build and the the nature of the the audience that now suddenly afford a Tesla and are very excited by what they've heard about Tesla so far and maybe who haven't followed quite so closely some of the teething pains that the original the X have yeah. had. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think, I mean, for me, I'm really excited about it because, you know, um, I, this, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a diehard car enthusiast and I'm a little old fashioned. And in fact, I've stopped buying new cars lately because I feel like I'm missing out on my experience unless I spend a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I've been buying used cars and, uh. and, you know, I hate to say this, but damn it, kids get off my lawn, right? Like having... <laughs> A car where nothing is nannying me or not much is nannying me is really nice. It, it's it's a weird thing. I kind of thought I would not care, but uh, you know, I just last summer I bought a Boxster S, mm -hmm. a two thousand and one, and you know, it it has it's a modern car. It has the modern safety features. It has a stability control. It has airbags. It has ABS. It has everything that I feel is essential in a modern car. To me, I'm I'm a good driver but I'm not a good enough driver that I don't need stability control, like especially on a mid-engine rear-wheel drive car with high horsepower, right? Mm -hmm. I'm happy to have it. And it, it has saved me a couple of times now in, in foul weather. Uh, and not, I, would, not, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have hit anything, but I would have probably headed up facing the wrong way. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> um, so, so I appreciate it. And ABS I've pretty much you know, had in my car since I learned to drive when I was 19, which, you know, I'm 48 now. So that would have been in the, in the 
late 80s, early 90s, a lot of the cars already had ABS and I've mm-hmm. always had it pretty much. My camper van, my Volkswagen camper doesn't have ABS. Uh, but, you know, that's an old vehicle. That's kind of expected. But but if this car feels, I mean, it's a Porsche and it's a boxer mid-engine rear drive. So obviously, you know, adjust yourselves to that level. But wow, I mean, the driving experience, the rawness of the steering feedback, the suspension, everything, it's just delightful, even on long trips. Like to me, I feel like we're losing some of that. And um, and so I'm always gonna have a car in my stable that's kind of an old analog car, right? Um, that doesn't have a lot of the infotainment features and whatever, because I don't care. I want that experience um, that that is a bit more raw. So to me, the Model 3 is gonna be the car that is gonna really be the antithesis of that, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to be the car that I can put pull the stock on twice to be an autopilot, right? On these long highway trips. It's going to be the car that's going to be quiet and comfortable. And um, and that's kind of what I'm looking forward to it. Because, you know, I've never owned an automatic or DCT car or, you know, whatever they call it, dual clutch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always made a point of buying stick shift. And that's part of the reason I'm also stopping to buy new cars because finding cars with stick shift that right. I like are getting is dwindling down rapidly. Uh, unless I spend a lot of money. Uh, and then uh, and then even then, uh, I have driven some DCTs now and some automatics where I've gone like, wow. Like, you know, I wouldn't want it if I had the option of a stick, but I have to admit it's that good. it's a different world and it's good and it's fantastic, especially if you want focusing on you know, like a track session and you don't want to have to be in the wrong gear and the wrong time and the curve, et cetera. I mean, it certainly simplifies and, and makes you look like a rock star driver. But, but the Model 3, by, es- by its very essence, does not have a transmission. Well, it does have one. It's a single gearbox, single be- gear mm-hmm. gearbox that is not controllable by you. Um, and, you know, it stays in that gear all the time, right? It's just a, a multiplier ratio thing. Yep. So I don't have that anymore and I'm not going to be able to miss it because it doesn't exist, right? So <laughs> so that's kind of my justification for finally getting a two-battle car. But at the same time, you know, um, you know, I know what electric cars can do in terms of acceleration and uh, and quietness and all that uh, from my time with the Model S. And that's kind of what I'm, what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to having that super high-tech car and then, you know, at the same time, having a 16-year-old Porsche that uh, is delightful and, and, and very subtle in, every, in all of its mechanical feedback. My car previous to the Porsche was a, a Volkswagen Golf R and a stick shift. Mm-hmm. And it was 2013, so the Generation 6, which is previous to the current generation. And that thing was a beast. I mean, it was amazing. But I still felt like, even though I was driving stick and the car had really great driver, it was a really great driver's car with lots of good feedback. I still felt that every now and then, I don't know how to explain this to you, Chris, but I felt like the hand of God was coming down and <laughs> like adjusting the rear end of my car around a corner or something because of the t- torque vectoring and the, right. the, the crazy computerized stuff that was happening with the four wheel drive Haldex based system. And it didn't, it wasn't, scary and it was it was actually welcome but i just felt like i wasn't in control you know i felt like yeah i think the interesting thing is that you're you are definitely the minority (laughs) i'm sure if you look at the the which you know the most popular selling cars in america today and for a long time you know it's either an f-150 um well pickup yeah best-selling pickup or it's if you're looking just at kind of passenger cars it's toyota's camry and 
I don't think anyone is ever going to confuse a Camry with a rally car or a performance car. For that of course matter. not. Um, because people want something which just starts first time and they want an appliance car that just does what they expect because they don't want to have to think about it or they can't afford to have more than one car to, you know, to kind of tick all of the boxes. It's yeah. just they need something reliable. And so I think that that is, you know, that, that's what but, Tesla but is promising. If- with, if you're with the shopping Model 3. Model 3, you're not that customer anyway. You're not, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I would argue that the Model 3, with the right level of equipment that people expect today, is going to be a forty-five dollars to $50,000 car. And we're not talking, now we're talking, you know, CLA, C, uh, C-Class, we're talking 2 Series, 3 Series, we're talking, we're not talking Corolla or Camry territory here. No, though Accord, I suppose we are right? kind of talking, um, you know, you could say high-end Accord, maybe. Maybe. I, think, I mean, the, the average selling price, I think, for a car in the US at the moment is about $35,000, um, which on the one hand seems quite high, on the other hand seems quite low. Tesla's obviously talking about Model 3 starting from about thirty-five, though you can't actually buy one of those cars yet. They're not yet, making no. that model yet. Um, and there's a $1,000 mandatory delivery fee, so it's really 36 I really don't think yeah. they're going to sell too many of those, to be honest with you. No, uh, I, think they, I think they had to, they, they needed that for but the, they needed the to, selling point. Yeah, exactly, to reach that price point on paper. So yes. to me, like, this is why I'm looking at, you know, like, so when I was, when I bought the Porsche, I was, the car I was looking at buying new at the time was the 2 Series BMW, a 240, uh, an M240i stick shift specifically, okay. uh, because I wanted something uh, even more luxurious and more comfortable than the Golf, uh, but I wanted rear-wheel drive, uh, and I wanted uh, more horsepower, of course. Who doesn't? Course. And I wanted sticks, so I started shopping around. I'm like, what can I afford? That's I got all these boxes, and I drove the the, two, the 228i uh, mm-hmm. with the auto, mine uses ZF8 speed, and other than the, I mean, the auto was incredible in that car. Like it didn't feel like an auto, it felt like a DCT. Like the shift changes were instantaneous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was amazed by the transmission, but I, I knew that you could get it with a stick shift. So I, I, I'm like, okay, more horsepower of this in the same car with a stick shift and the same great handling, although arguably the, the, the 240 is a little nose heavier, but whatever. I was like, that's the car I'm going to go for. And then at the last minute, you know, I was like, yeah, but. It's a lot of money for what I'm getting, and I can't buy it anywhere. I have to custom order it from Germany because they don't mm-hmm. stock any 240 M240i's uh, BMWs on the lots with a no. stick. All of them are ZF8 speed. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh. so that's when I was like, you know, maybe I just need to to go back to the past. <laughs> and oh my God, it was, I mean, I, I know that a lot of it has to do with the choice I made of getting a Boxster S, but because it's a phenomenal car. But I, I think that still, I mean, there was a certain, I don't know, like, you know, it still has hydraulic power steering. There's so much feedback. There's so much information there as a driver and so much play. You can play and the nannies do kick in, but, you know, you really can push it before before the nannies say, no, 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 behave. Um, and with the Golf, you could, I, get, I got that. I could toss it around and it would behave, but... But every now and then I'd be like, I want you to slide a little bit. And it'd be like, nope, nope, not happening. And I'm like, come on. Like, I'm just asking you, just like, just understeer just a little bit so I can have fun. Come on. Mm-hmm. Your front wheel drive biased car, even though you all will drive, you can understeer. No, it wouldn't let me. Uh, whereas, you know, uh, the 
you know, the, the, the boxer, even with stability control on, I can get their tail out. No problem. It, it will do it. It'll catch me, but it'll do it. Just kind of, and you know, there's no sports mode. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I hate well, that in new it's cars. Al- it's like, I it's don't need a mode. mode. <laughs> I bought a Boxster S. What do you think I'm doing with it? It's and again, it, it, it comes down to time. you are you are not most people. <laughs> no, but these these cars existed back then without sports mode, and people bought them anyway. You know what I'm saying? So, I kind of want uh, you know. Obviously, the Teslas have sports mode with the uh, what is it the uh, the ludicrous kind of mode. There is ludicrous modes, and but yeah. the, my Model Three, if I get the rear wheel drive, won't have that. The, Elon has said that. Anyway, you know, I digress. But I, I, you know, I'm kind of curious to know how you feel because you've been you test drive a lot more cars than I do, and and a lot of them are as traditional, like uh, um, you know, gasoline or diesel mm-hmm. powered. And uh, you know, how do, do you feel like you've driven cars for a long time? Because you 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 lived in Britain for a long time. A lot of cars there are stick shift and less powerful and smaller and cheaper, right? In general, yeah. Uh, I think American cars are generally a little bit bigger and cushier, even at the lower price point. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel about the state of the industry? I mean, without going into supercar territory, which is obviously always even like you know hundred k plus territory, which is has a lot of really great choices. How do you feel? Do you feel that we're we're more and more appliancing our cars? Do you feel there's still room? I mean, there's obviously the Toyota eighty six that's still an enthusiast kind of car at the low price point, but right. how do I, you feel about that? I mean, I I feel like for an awful lot of people, it it is just you know they want something which is reliable and which they can get in and just drive and will take them to work and they don't have to think about it. Um, I think that there will always be, like you say, kind of enthusiast cars, though the options kind of in the lower price range are limited. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, the interesting kind of time now is is now that we're finally seeing electric cars that are more affordable that have a longer range. Um, yes, like you know, the and Bolt. I, and like the, the Bolt, three. which I'm a, I'm a, I mean, I'm a huge Bolt fan. Um, I, I, but, I think that it's, um, I think that what Chevy has done is um, really impressive. Uh, in terms of you know, the, the range that it's the first electric car that I've driven where the range that I've had in real life has been greater More. than the yeah. range that it was supposed to have you know kind of everything else it's you kind of get this feeling of well okay I have my 150 miles range but that's in a best case scenario if I'm on a test track somewhere at the EPA driving at a you know a very set speed whereas with the Bolt i after a couple of days of kind of you know that sort of familiarization pro- process of you know getting over the range anxiety, you kind of it suddenly dawns that actually this thing just it just keeps going, <laughs> yeah. Which is welcome. I loved my Bolt experience. I was at the press event driving it down in Palo Alto, and and you know I have to say very impressed. I'm a little and it's form factor wise more the kind of car I want than the Model Three. I mean mm-hmm. I like the little five door hatchback cars, you know, as a European. Yep. But I, I mean, it's more, it's a little bit too CUV-ish in my opinion, at least the looks of it. And I think that's because people want that these days. Um, but I can't fault it too much. My biggest gripe with the Bolt, and this is why I'm going with Tesla, is the lack of charging infrastructure uh, for fast charge. Yeah. I mean, there's just nothing. You Yes, if you, you know, uh, charge it over level two, you can do it overnight like any other car. But the DC fast charge is what it really needs, and it really needs it more than it exists. And the supercharger network that Tesla is, to me, is is what you know is what we need for electrification to happen. And nobody seems to be investing the same amount of energy and 
money into a network of their own, like, uh, you know, like Tesla is. And I don't understand why Chevy isn't doing it, honestly. I think um, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, the, the infrastructure side of it is, um, I don't want to say dire, because I don't think it's quite that bad, but I think it is very misunderstood. You know, there are, it, it's driving around a Tesla, you kind of know, well, okay, I go to a, I find the nearest supercharger station on the, the sat-nav and I just go there and I know what it's going to plug in at. I kind of know what rate it's going to charge at. I know the process. And I think that even if you, I think if you buy a bolt now, you know, you get like a charge point card, which allows you to use various charges and it's, you know, you have an account and it's supposed to be very simple. And I guess in practice, it can be reasonably simple, but I always felt when I was driving it that I wasn't entirely sure where I was supposed to be going to do it. And when, if I got there, you know, what rate am I going to be charging up at and what kind of connector is it going to use? And these are all questions that, you know, people don't want to, people don't want to deal with having three different types of gasoline on offer in the gas station. Right. They they don't, they don't want to have that sort of choice, too much choice. All of a sudden it's, it's, well, it's complicated. I'm just going to, you know, I'll put in the cheapest one or I'll put in premium because I know what that is, or I think I do. And I think, so you're absolutely right that there is this kind of this missing point that either in the, the infrastructure isn't there, but I think that that's almost, that's not true. There, there is a lot of infrastructure there, but I think people, it's not very well explained. You know, there's no. And, yeah. And I think it's, it's also not compatible with my lifestyle. I think I just have to be honest with you. Like that's, mm-hmm. if you are suburban or or not even suburban, but if you own uh, your own home with a garage or driveway, any, anywhere in any suburban or urban environment, and you have uh uh, you know, you use the you, the intent of the the bolt is your commuter or um, errands vehicle. You absolutely should get a bolt because yes. you can charge it overnight at your home, and you, the range is good enough that you don't really have to worry about charging it until the night for ninety nine percent of your your uses. Absolutely, yeah. And but you know, you lived in the city for a long time. Now you live in the woods with the bears. With the bears. Yeah, but the raccoons, <laughs> the, raccoons uh, the otters. Uh, I don't see any uh, otters yet. But, no yeah, give otters. It time. Damn it. I know. Uh, and so uh, you lived in, uh, was it Knob Hill for a while? Yeah, Russian Hill. And, and Russian Hill. Parking is a nightmare. And so you know and, parking is a nightmare. Yeah. There's no way you could charge overnight there in any, no. and even the closest charging station were probably inside of parking lots that were closed at night that you had to pay an insane amount per hour to park in to use mm-hmm. the free charging, if there yes. was any charging. And so to me, that's kind of the situation I'm in. I live in Petrero Hill. I've got street parking. So, um, you know, with the Tesla, I can say, oh, well, I just go to the supercharger, right? And, and I know where it's going to be one. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's going to last me two or three days on a charge for the kind of errands I run. So I just, every few days, I just go and get a, you know, Get like a, a subway sandwich at the supercharging station uh, <laughs> down in uh, Palo Alto or whatever, um, and it's an inconvenience. But um, the other thing is, I don't, you know, obviously have. Uh, I also spend part of my time at my place in Portland, Oregon, where I have a driveway, so I will get a, 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 a Tesla compatible charger there. And and that's the other thing for me. My one of my requirements is to be able to drive from San Francisco to Portland. Right. Right. Uh, now I do that in the Porsche today. I do that in the camper van sometimes when I need to, when I want to do a road trip and I'm planning ahead. Sometimes I, I, uh, it lives mostly in Portland, but sometimes I need to take it down to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm used to doing this trip. It's not a big deal. It takes me about nine, 10 hours with a IC car, with a gasoline car, uh, sorry, an electric car is going to take me 12 because I need to charge at least twice. 
right. on a Model S or Model 3, at least the long-range models. So I'm prepared for that, and I'm willing to do it, and I think the infrastructure exists. But that's my point. The Bolt doesn't give you that option, right? You're, you're SOL. You can jump in a Tesla and drive across the country. You can't do that in a Bolt. And I think that the problem is that I imagine you actually probably could. And I, I, but you I could, think no, no. That, you know what I'm saying. Though, but I, but I think that the I think that the the kind of the homework that you would need to do. It's so insane. when I when I had the the Bolt, um, the week that it came, I was supposed to have a very different car. I was supposed to have the F one fifty Raptor. Um, which oh is, wow! And there's a slight yeah difference. And then the the scheduling changed, and I had the Bolt instead. And some friends of mine came over to visit, and they were going to kind of drive around the the Bay Area. And then the guy who was going to be driving um, managed to fracture his wrist. So anyway, so they said, well, can you know, can we can we go around and kind of do some of the sightseeing stuff? And I said, yes, of course. And then spent the night before nervously looking at where all of the different charging stations might be because mm. I thought, well, okay, I have. A quoted 238 miles of range in an ideal situation. Where is that going to get me? I don't want to kind of be the guy who takes his friends up to, um, up into the woods somewhere or out to the beach and then is stuck there because, you know, his electric car has run out of charge. And it was incredibly difficult that night before to kind of put into place a plan of, well, okay, what am I going to do? Where, you know, where are we going to go that will have a charger? And that charger, is it, what kind of rating is that? And, you know, Am I going to plug in and get, you know, the equivalent of a nine volt battery and, you know, maybe put half a mile of range on it? But, or, you know, or is it going to be a high powered charger, but there is only one outlet and it's likely to be busy? And there are lots of websites and apps and things which will help you find oh, yeah, for sure. different chargers, which is great. And it's fantastic. And it's amazing kind of this plug share, which is a fantastic kind of crowdsourced one where, you know, people give big reviews about the speeds that they had and kind of how, you know, the busy periods and the off period and that kind of thing, which is really useful. But that's not really what I wanted. I just wanted to be able to go into a map and say, well, okay, this is where I'm thinking of going. Whereabouts can I charge up and is it, you know, and and not have to worry about it. And so Tesla, I think, has done an excellent job of taking that confusion and sort of planning stage out of the using their infrastructure. And where the other car companies, even though that infrastructure, maybe through a third through a number of third parties, it does exist. They just don't do a very good job of communicating that and and making it really, really simple for someone in an electric car who might have range anxiety. Yeah, I think it's very much like uh, Apple versus Android in a way. It's yeah. like, you know, Tesla is highly integrated. Everything is vertical. You pretty much, I mean, yes, you can charge on other chargers because there's adapters, mm -hmm. but you're not encouraged to, and you have actually no reason to. Be, even if you go to a shopping mall, they have... Uh, destination chargers that are Tesla branded that are not right. as fast as superchargers, but will maintain and or boost your charge level while you're shopping. And yeah. uh, I, my, the first one I saw was actually in Salt Lake City when I was there once on a road yeah. trip, uh, stopping with my camper to uh, to get a snack. And I'm like, wow, look at all these Teslas. And I'm like, each of them was parked at a destination charger at this shopping mall. And I'm like, I had no idea this was the thing. I only knew about superchargers. So I guess there's even more to it than that. So that's kind of cool. Um, I'm wondering, have you ever had to plug in your car at home uh, since you, you live out in the woods? You probably have a washer and dryer. Do yes. you Have you ever had to plug into your dryer outlet? <laughs> no, I haven't. I, we have an outdoor outlet but it is only a 110 volt one and only 110 um, that's not going to yeah. help you at all and so i've i mean i found that i i just had a, a bmw i3 with the, the uh -huh. version with the range extender actually i had both i had first the just the pure electric and then i had the version with the range extender and i've had other electric cars and plugged them into that 110 outlet and you do it does take a while it's sort of 
I'm lucky and different from a lot of people in that I work from home. So yeah. although I need a car if I want to get anywhere because of where we live, it's, you know, my normal day-to-day kind of routine doesn't necessarily involve going on uh, dis- long distance driving, you know, but yeah. if I had to go into an office, there would hopefully be a charger there where I could plug it in, but you know, that I don't, I don't need to do that. So the, the car can, for the most part, just sit outside plugged in and it's not fast. But um, but it you know it does the job. I think if I if I had an electric car myself, then yes, I would obviously kind of get a, um, level a full two level two charger. Yeah, 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 because it does take a lot of the headache out of it. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, you. Know, I'm the same way. I, I work at home most of the time. It's only when I need to run some errands, and and that, as such, the Bolt I think would be perfect. But I have the uh, I have the added complication that sometimes I like to commute between two major cities, and so that's right. when. You know, and, and honestly, I haven't, obviously I have choices of cars, so it's not like I, I, you know, I could have an electric car that was just dedicated to one location, but I like the idea of, of varying my, you know, my car experience as it were. And, uh, you know, sometimes I like to drive this car and sometimes I like to drive that car. So not having to be stuck with, uh, living in one location, having the car stay in one location basically is one of the reasons I I'm I'm excited about Tesla and the supercharger network. I think is is kind of the stroke of genius that that distinguishes them. And and again, I think that the the legacy, the the incumbent uh, car manufacturers are still the fact that they're not investing in that yet is what tells me that they're not really fully serious yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chevy's obviously a little more serious. They they've shown that they can do it, uh, but I think that they haven't shown that they are willing to to give you that extra thing, which is lets you travel with your car further away. And potentially it's because, you know, the Bolt is one, right? The Teslas have always been, we're going to make more. We're going to make a, the first, we're going to make the, the, you know, the, once they did the S, well, they did the Roadster first, but once they did the S, it was clear they're going to make an SUV. Mm-hmm. And then they did the SUV and it was clear they're going to make the cheap car. And now, you know, there's rumors of a smaller SUV, which of course you do. With the CUV craze right now, you need yeah. a five-door CUV-ish Model kind of, yes. 3 a priced vehicle. Of course yeah. you do. Uh, and so, and so, you know, to me, that's that's why I think the big difference is the, the Bolt is a car of one. It's like right now, I don't see Chevy following up. Uh, there's a lot of ifs and buts whether they're going to do it, you know, something like that again. I would like to think that they will. And, and but, they are not really committing, it seems to me, other than saying, look, we can, we can do what Tesla's doing. This is basically their way of saying, we can do it. Yeah. And I think but they the, don't seem as committed to me. Yeah. And I think they, there isn't a, a kind of a history of the big automakers working to get, playing nicely together, you know, of, and kind of getting together. If, if they'd all, you know, if the, if the big German automakers had decided, well, we're going to collaborate on electric charging infrastructure, I think that would be very different. You know, if, if GM and Ford had and and Fiat Chrysler had said, "Well, okay, we're gonna we're going to sew this up in America. We're going to invest." I don't think in that with Machiavelli in power, we're going to CFCA do anything like I, that well, anytime no. soon. <laughs> um, but that's just me. Um, so, hey, I, how much you know about the new Leaf? Because I'm, you know, probably not uh, the target audience because the original Leaf to me was, you know, I was actually really excited when the original Leaf came out. Uh, but then I drove one. And I was like, oh my God, it's worse than a Prius. I mean, it's definitely, um, it, is an, it is an appliance electric car. It's terrible. 
I, I think, man, I think No, that's I mean, look, this is Nissan we're talking about. They make a GTR, okay? They do. They, I think even the Altima can... is a nice car to drive. I mean, come on. It, I mean, it does what it is supposed to do, which is be easy and very unlike a gasoline car. And, you know, it's a practical little five-door hatchback, which isn't going to thrill anybody. But that is but, kind of exactly what- But this is the second gen. So what are, are they going to fix that? Well, I mean, we there was there were Nissan have been showing off some really interesting looking concepts for electric cars, and then leaked photos of the new Leaf came out, and it does not really look like those. But the looks photos. is not my issue. I don't think the Bolt is a sexy looking car, but it's no. a fun to drive car, which makes a big difference. So the the what they're talking about is it will have more power, it will have more range, it will you know it will still be targeting that mass market which Nissan targets. You know, they, right. they need to sell a lot of them. And and it worked well for the you know the first gen leaf okay it might not have won many fans in you know amongst people like you and I um, in, who are looking for something maybe a little more engaging but for a long time it was the best selling electric car and it was only oh, when yeah. you know when cars like the the Model S came along and Tesla owners kind of opened their deep wallets you know and it the, is affordable I mean it, much yeah. more affordable than a Model Three so I Completely. get it. I mean yeah. but it's just to me it's just like you know. I'd honestly at that point I'd I'd buy I'd buy a golf uh, e golf before I'd buy a Leaf if you want if you don't care about range but you want a car that feels like a car you know buy an electric yeah. golf I right? yeah I mean I I guess I I still think there is definitely a place for the Leaf um, and I think what's been interesting is that you know there are a lot of people now looking at secondhand electric cars and sort of saying well okay what kind of you know I. I, I, I bought into this idea of electrification, but I can't afford a brand new one. So what is there out there? And the <laughs> yes. deals on secondhand Leafs are incredible. Insane. You know, just the, what you can pick up for, you know, less than $10,000 is just is very impressive. And at that point, you start to say, well, hang on, you know, OK, maybe this isn't yeah. going to be the most exciting thing. But then I don't really want my washing machine to be very exciting. And I'm no, kind of no. OK with my fridge freezer being not very exciting as long as it you know it does the job and i'm not spending a huge amount of money on it so sure yeah i think look i think though there is there is something to be said to me like the fiat 500e which is you know in the current fiat chrysler fca regime kind of an oddity and a compliance car of course mm -hmm. i mean uh, to me that's a fun electric car right i mean um it's you know it's it's also one of the cheapest used now, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of issues in terms of quality, but I still think that if I had the choice to buy a cheap electric car today or a secondhand electric car, you know, I would narrow it down to basically probably the Leaf, the Fiat 500e, and maybe the e-Golf, an used e-Golf that's out, out of lease after two years. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think there's too much else. There's a Fit EV, I drove it, um, but I, I don't think they made enough for you to, and I don't think they were sold. They were leased only, weren't they? I believe so, yeah. I think the problem I have with, with any of these kind of, any car basically, any electric car that isn't really the Bolt, where, you know, you get over that kind right. of all-important 200-mile range, is that, like you were saying earlier, that there is a problem with Infrastructure. where are you going to be based, where yeah. are you going to be charging it. So yeah. I I live maybe it's a 70, 80-mile round trip uh, into San Francisco where I am, which, um, you know, I, I maybe do that a couple of times a week. Um, right, and you and, can't do that with these cars. It's I mean, too, no, too the, short, right? Yeah, it, there's, there's, there's always that fear of, well, okay, am I going to, if I get in there and then I have to drive around a bit, or if I want to do an extra, 
couple of extra chills while I'm there or there's a last minute thing where I need to go or, you know, am I going to have enough power to get back? Am I going to need to, I don't want to have to try and find somewhere to charge up when I'm in the city. Um, right, so it yeah. needs to, all of a sudden, the, the, the thing I liked about the Bolt was that, you know, I, I could drive it in, I could drive around San Francisco, I could come back home again and I would still have charge left, you know, I, I, and then I could, you know, just plug it back in again. I didn't have to worry about it. I could treat it like a gasoline car. Um, and I think that that is my concern with any of the secondhand ones and with the new ones as well. You know, the the BMW i3, I just had the all electric one. The range for that is, you know, just a hundred something. Yeah, it's not um, that great. Which is enough to kind of make me think, well, because that hundred something is actually maybe, you know, 80 in practice, depending on how you drive. And so it's, it's it's a tricky one. It's a really tough one. It's uh, and it's an infrastructure question. It's a battery question, and it's a price question, and it's a compromise question. And there are lots of questions. <laughs> yeah, I mean the way I'm looking at it is I'm going to probably go for the first uh, the first Model Three. They give they give me the option to get simply yeah. because I want to be early adopter here, and um, go through the growing pains with it and see how it fits my life. And if it doesn't, it's going to go away. And if it does, I'll probably upgrade to a dual motor ludicrous Model 3 uh, a couple of years down the road. Um, and that will be that. And then I'll probably never buy another gasoline car ever again, uh, unless it's a used one for fun. Yes. I was <laughs> going to say, never say never. <laughs> no, I, I certainly have a Porsche 911 Turbo on my list of one day I will own. Well, don't we all. all. It's <laughs> happening. No, seriously, it's happening. Yeah. Uh, I'm honestly, I'm honestly looking. I'm look, I keep an eye all the time out for 996 Turbo. Um, and, and if that eventually goes away in terms of availability, I will probably go for a 997 Turbo stick shift. I will get one. It'll happen. I am that crazy person uh, because you know what? It's a completely different experience. It's Absolutely. like, you know, for you getting behind the wheel of, from, from behind the wheel of the BMW i3 into a, into a charger uh, Hellcat. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Radically different. Absolutely but, different. Uh, perfectly available cars today. So, yeah. So listen, I, I kind of want to wrap it up, but I did want to talk really briefly about um, what, you know, we're going to get the Note 8 and the V30, uh, and, and there's been a lot of other phones this year. Uh, tell me quickly, what are the phones that did it for you in the first half of this year? You know, uh, some candidates would be the HTC U11, the Galaxy S8 and S8 Plus, the G6 from LG, the, um, uh, OnePlus 5, uh, most recently the, we talked about the Motos, the, the Zenfone AR from Asus is getting all long in the tooth, but, uh, of course the Pixel from last year, but out of all of these, tell me which ones really struck a chord with you if you've had a chance to use them. I mean, I, I, I'm a, you can't really go wrong with the Galaxy S8. I've recommended that phone to a lot of people just because, you know, it's a, the design is there, the battery life is there, the camera is there. Um, I, you know, I, it's it's a really solid choice. I think the, sure. the the U11 is beautiful and is the best phone HTC has made in a while. And for sure, uh, you know, when I reviewed it, my my headline was, you know, U11 review. You won't buy this, but you should. Because I saw that, I think, and I was like, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, yeah, it's sad I, though, right? Because you know that they're so close, and in some ways, better than the others. Absolutely. Yeah. And so there's lots of chatter now that the HTC will be making at least one of the new Pixel phones for Google, and it will include things like 
a the version squeeze. of the, the squeezing edge sense or whatever it's called, which I think is very interesting and kind of underused at the moment. Um, so hopefully, you know, that this will be a chance for HTC to get their devices into a new generation of hands because I think it would be a shame to, to lose what they, um, they offer. Um, other than that, I mean, the, the, the Zenfone AR is interesting, but still very, very niche. Um, yeah, I, no, it's, it's, I would not recommend this. I mean, it's fine. No. It's also a little long in the tooth, but I reviewed the, the Lenovo Fab 2 Pro, the first Tango mm -hmm. phone, phone in quotes here, cause 6.4 inch display <laughs> thing is massive. It's like a centimeter thick. Um, but I mean, when you compare that to the Zenfone AR, the Zenfone AR just looks basically like a normal 5.7 inch phone. It's about the same size as like uh, LG V20 or like, right. uh, I don't know, a Nexus 6P from last year. Uh, and so as such, you know, it has Tango in it and it does all the things that the Fab did for uh, in a much sexier package. But mm -hmm. that's the only, you know, that's it's an interim because, you know, we have, uh, I don't know if you got briefed by Qualcomm on the, the new ISP technologies that they, uh, they, they are announcing in the fall. And in fact, they just uh, did a press release yesterday yes. on that. Uh, but, but you know, we know what's coming. And mm -hmm. that means that all the flagships will have AR support, right? Yeah. Um, and, and then Tango will just be a normal thing in the same way as I'm pretty sure that Apple's going to blow it out the park with the, a the AR kit stuff on the new phones. Because all the demos I'm seeing are way better than anything I've seen on Tango. And this is the same story again. The developer base is on the iPhone camp. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think, uh, I don't think there's info. I'm just mentioning it because it's fresh. I just received right. it like a week ago yeah. or something. And of course, the Nokia 8 was announced this morning, uh, finally, officially. So it'll be interesting to see uh, to see uh, how that, that plays out. I'm going to try to get a review in it, obviously, because uh, I'm a long-time Nokia fan here, even <laughs> though it's a completely different brand now than it was, uh, and a dual camera setup, and you know me and imaging. So I do. Yeah, so, I mean, I agree. The U11 and the Galaxy S8 are... Totally some of the best. I also have a soft spot for the G6 simply because I like that wide angle lens and I'm certainly looking forward to what they're going to do with that V30 with the super fast f of a 1.6 lens. Um, yeah. It's funny, I, I, I didn't kind of, I didn't fall for the, the G6. I, no, I, I think it's I because it. I don't so much use the wide angle lens. I yeah, much I do prefer it a lot. So I, I, much I like prefer it better it. than telephoto, actually. You see, I use telephoto a lot more. So I Did you it's... play with the OnePlus 5? Briefly, yes. What I didn't do review that one. I mean, eh, may, maybe. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I've little... never really got on the OnePlus hype train. Um, yeah. I mean, I definitely it's... think that what they're doing is very interesting, but I, yeah, I, I, I it's not something, it, it wouldn't be the top of my list. No, I mean, it's, it's a good phone for the money, spec-wise, but I think it falls short in areas that to me are really significant, like the camera. Mm -hmm. uh, still four shirts on the camera. I mean, it's better than last year, but it's still like, it's kind of like just good enough yeah. uh, to today's standards. And when you see what the HTC U11 can produce or the Galaxy S8 or even the G6, frankly, or the Pixel or the iPhone 7 Plus, you know, or the Huawei P10, <laughs> you're like, okay, that's a lot of ores, guys. Yeah. Um, you kind of missed the boat there because you're not part of the ores. <laughs> 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 oh dear! You know, oh pretty my much. word! Yes, that's... yeah. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, listen. We should wrap it up. I want you to plug yourself, plug your blog, plug everything that matters to you that you want the listeners to go check out. Well, you should definitely check out slashgear.com. It's at slashgear on Twitter. I'm at c underscore davies with an e on Twitter, where I talk about 
um, usually food, actually, and cats and a little yes. bit of tech. Oh, yeah. if you guys want really good food porn, follow Chris Davies. <laughs> I do like to eat. It's true. So do I. And you actually cook, too. It's not like I, you just eat. You, like, grill all the time. I, I mean, it, nothing nothing is nicer, he said, than, than a rack of glistening meat. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, you should, uh, you know, you should talk to Theo at some point. You know, he's now got a grill as well ah. in, in our place in Portland. And uh, so he's been grilling up a storm and you guys should compare notes. I, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's the future and obviously also the past as well. But, but we, <laughs> we can't eat the past. No. No. See, these are, these are the wise words of Mr. Chris Davies right here. <laughs> this is why you this should is, follow me on Twitter. This clearly. is why yeah. you should follow. And this is also why I have him on the podcast, because he says things like that. <laughs> All right. You guys know where to find me. I'm Tank Girl on Twitter. That's TNKGRL, like the comic book character without the vowels. Um, YouTube.com slash Miriam Jouar. If you want to watch my unboxing and review videos, you know, you can also find me on chipchick.com for my occasional phone videos. I mean, phone reviews, not videos. I, I reviewed quite a few flagships for them this past year. And then uh, mobilegeeks.com if you want to find out what's happening at a trade show. I'm not going to be at IFA, but, you know, in the case of Mobile Congress and CS, I usually cover it for them. Uh, and then finally, mobiletechpodcast.com. And I want to thank uh, World Podcast for hosting and editing and doing all the magic behind the scenes to make this happen. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being on the show, Chris. Always a pleasure. All right. Cheers, everyone. Bye. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.